I've always enjoyed my birthday. Is that wrong? I don't know. It, at, at some point, it probably feels a little wore out and awkward, but oh well. And, uh, and I'm wearing this little thing that my wife made that just makes sure everyone knows it's my, my birthday. The two have become one, and now she's promoting my birthday. And so, But I have to tell you, I, I don't have to, but I want to just give you a funny little glimpse of uh, birthday life. And so Brenda had this in mind, and she was going to, she had uh, her wheels turning. And, um, and so I'm just going to give you a little, little background. Please just bear with me for a minute and a half. So last January was my wife's birthday, Brenda. And I said, Brenda, what do you want for your birthday today? I'd already done some things, but what do you want to do? What do you... And she says, well, I'll tell you what I want, but you're not going to want to do it. And I said, what's that? She goes, I want to go buy you a blue suit. And I said, why? That's, it's your birthday, not mine. And she goes, yeah, I know, but I want you to have a blue suit. And, uh, and she probably knew I wasn't going to make that happen very quickly, except for the birthday leverage. And so, this suit is, belongs to Brenda. It's not my suit. It's Brenda's suit. <laughs> and because of its association, here's what happened yesterday, because she was wondering what colors to make this thing, because she knows it kind of needs to match for me, or I'm not going to be comfortable for the rest of the day. And so this is what she said. She goes, hey, I have a question. What's that? She goes, are you going to wear your birthday suit tomorrow? <laughs> and, <laughs> and my reaction was like, well, no, not at all. Oh, you mean the blue suit? Yes, the blue suit. And so yeah, what a fun Sabbath. And just thank you, church family. Just celebrating birthday along with me. It's really fun to have it on the Sabbath day. And and I am so thankful that it's not a nightmare Sabbath where I'm up here literally in a birthday suit, but it's a blessed Sabbath in my blue suit, right? <laughs> oh, maybe that needs to be edited out of any video. I don't know, but uh, it was too fun not to share. Listen, we've had a very full Sabbath, and, and I will just acknowledge the fact that we're probably going to go a few minutes past. I tried to put the sermon into the appropriate length, and so... Uh, I'm just going to do what I feel compelled to do, but I understand that if at some point you say, I've got to go, it's okay. It's not rude or offensive to quietly kind of dismiss, and, uh, but, but let's dive into that. So before we pray, we're going to go further into the book of Mark, and I just want to kind of tie us into the flow of the story, and, uh, and I'm going to take us back to Mark chapter 6, verse um, 7. Mark chapter 6 verse 7 reads this way, And Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Then jumping down to verse 13, And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he, he assured them that he was going to make them fishers of men. And sure enough, he had been teaching them, he had been training them, he had literally been modeling by example for them how to go about proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. But the time had come for them to gain some hands-on experience. And so according to Mark 6 verse 7, he brought them together and he paired them up and he, and he sent them out to, uh, to go and to proclaim the kingdom on their own without him. Jesus was preparing them, not just to be followers, 
But to one day, even now at this point in the story, to, to begin to step into leadership, to be sent to carry on the mission. He'd been training them to not always just be disciples or only disciples, but to be also sent apostles. And with that, we'll kind of pick up this story flow that had this interlude that Pastor Josh spoke to last Sabbath about the story of John the Baptist. But with that, let's, uh, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, these are your words. We ask for your spirit. We ask that we might uh, be able to be spiritually attentive and, and hear you speak to us today. So come be with us and bless, bless us as we journey through some more verses in this amazing book, the book of Mark. In your name we pray. Amen. The word apostle literally means one sent with orders or maybe one sent with a message. And here in Mark chapter 6, a few verses later, is the only time in Mark's gospel that he uses the word apostle to describe the 12 disciples They had indeed been sent with a message, but in this moment that we're picking up the story, they're now returning from their kind of mission-sent experience. The Bible reads that the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Can you imagine that gathering? Can you imagine that moment when the disciples are are, are starting to come back in their paired groupings with all of the experience that they had just gone through? I know that as they came back, I'm certain that Jesus was excited to hear their reports. He was super excited to say, how did it go? Tell me the stories. What took place? And I'm sure that even more, perhaps, they were excited to tell their experiences with Jesus. To come back and say, you won't believe what happened. Miracles took place. We saw healings. We saw deliverances. And we taught things we didn't even know we were able to teach. And so they were coming together in a pretty excited moment moment. Jesus was ready to celebrate with them. He was ready to encourage and affirm them. And likely he was excited to kind of further teach them based upon their experiences to be able to say, do you know why that went so well? It's because of this. Do you know why that didn't go so well? It was because of this to continue teaching. But Jesus could readily see as they came back that they had literally spent themselves to exhaustion. For the sake of the kingdom of God. And so he invites them to take some rest. They had returned. But the excitement of the people had not abated. It's as if as they came from wherever they went, people followed. And it says they were coming and going. And they were coming and going to get more of the goodness of the Lord. They came to such a, a, a frequency that, they, that the disciples and Jesus didn't even have the luxury of sharing a meal. They were tired. They were hungry disciples. And Jesus, recognizing that, they needed to recharge. And he suggests, hey, let's all get in the boat and let's go to a secluded place to rest. And that's exactly what they did. And even though, as we'll see in a moment... That moment of rest didn't really unfold. 
But Jesus' acknowledgement of their need of rest and invitation gives us some insight, if you will, of the way I'm going to put it today, of the rhythm of being a follower of Jesus. There's a certain give and take as followers of Jesus. One writer described it this way, this Christian rhythm. He described it in these words, and I like how it was put. The Christian life is a continuous going into the presence of God from the presence of men and women and coming out into the presence of men and women from the presence of God. Do you see that rhythm? There's a rhythm of going out to be a light in the world, to be salt and and light in this world, and to go out in the service of mankind. And then the balance of the rhythm is then to retreat and rest and commune with God. Think of it in terms of work and rest. We cannot be productive at work until we have gotten some good rest. And we often don't get as good at rest unless we have worked ourselves to being tired. Church family, we need to draw strength from Jesus. We draw strength from Jesus in times of community worship, just like we're sharing right now. And we draw strength from Jesus in times of very private, secluded, personal, devoted times with the Lord. We are to draw strength from Jesus. But that strength that we draw from Him, that equipping, that grace, is not to be kept selfishly. When we draw from Him, we are then called to expend our new energies in the service of others. I've seen in a few churches, one church is a Lutheran church I attended a funeral at one time in Sherwood. And as you leave the church, carved on the door is you are now entering the mission field. You've been here. You've drawn strength. That rhythm has happened. Now go out and expend that strength. But then comes a season where the strength has been spent and you need to come back. With showing compassion, showing love, showing kindness, sharing the love of God by literally living out the life of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And when that rhythm is in balance, we become powerful tools in the hand of God. But there are two dangers in that rhythm that are found when we get out of balance. And the first danger is, is when we're is being in too constant activity. Okay? We can't thrive in this Christian life unless we give ourselves time with God. We can't do God's work without the infilling of God the Spirit. We need times of refreshing, of communion with God. We need times to to be still with God in order to be filled with His love and His strength and His wisdom. And one of the dangers that exists is when we're just too active, too busy, even in the service of God, but we're too active to ever be refilled. And that's a hazard that pastors often have to struggle with. That in the service of a church family, sometimes it feels that we're active, we're active, we're active. And we need to very purposefully make sure we back up and receive the infilling. I know God is able to fill someone who is active. But it seems that he kind of likes it when we get still for a moment. Have you ever tried to to fill a bottle that is constantly moving? I remember on one occasion we were coming to church, I think, and, and as we were near church, Brenda said to me, oh, I forgot to fill the kids' water bottles, the sippy cup. Can you uh, put some of your water from your water bottle and put it into, we'll say, Roddy's water bottle? 
And so I took both lids off and I began to pour as she began to go over all these ridiculous speed bumps up here on this street. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's hard to fill a moving target. We need to have times when we stop being active and we get still with the Lord and we invite Him to fill us. And He invites us into that. Quiet places, be still, rest, Sabbath with God and be filled up with spiritual blessings. There's a hazard, there's a danger on the other side too. The second danger is found on the other extreme when there's too much withdrawal and not enough action. My great uncle Harold is the the first person I ever heard say this phrase. He didn't come up with it, but it's the first time I ever heard it. He said this, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. There's a truth to that, isn't there? It has been said that if you spend devoted times with Jesus, be still, devoted times with Jesus, and, and the fruit of that devoted time doesn't kind of compel you to action, then maybe that wasn't much of a devotion. Because being filled with Jesus compels us to share that somehow, some way. We seek God's presence and His infilling, but not as a way to avoid others. It's not as a way to kind of get away from the service of others. No, we seek those moments of filling in order to be fitted to serve. And the rhythm continues. The balance of that rhythm of being a follower of Jesus is is found by meeting with God in quiet places and then serving God. And having served God, you feel... You feel the desperate need to be filled again, and so you go filled, and now you feel overflowing, and so you go back out and serve. The Apostle Paul, I think, spoke to this balance extremely well. It's in 2 Corinthians 9, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God is able to fill us up if we'll open ourselves up to Him in such a way that there is an abundance that overflows. And this abundance is well demonstrated in the story that we're about to kind of go through. As I mentioned before, this time of refreshing that Jesus wanted to have with His disciples, it didn't really happen because Jesus had compassion towards those pressing people who were coming and going. And I know that the story that we are about to look at, the feeding of the 5,000, it's a rather well-known story, but let's step through it briefly together again and just see what the Lord might have for us today. So Jesus says, let's go. Let's go in the boat. Let's go to a quiet place. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all of the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. So, Jesus' desire to go with his disciples to that secluded place to rest and to share, debrief and process this whole experience that they had just had, their apostling kind of experience they all load into that small boat and they set sail. And, and you look at the Luke account of this story and we discover that they were heading to Bethsaida. Well, the people saw them leaving. 
And they noted what direction that boat was going. If you can kind of picture the top north side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they're heading over here to kind of the north uh, east area of Bethsaida. And they were kind of over in this direction. And then they noticed the boat is probably going this way. And the people began to go on foot, on land, a longer route. And as they went through village and village and village, more people joined the caravan and they actually beat them to that shore. They made their way around and the crowds gathered there in Bethsaida and it made better time than the boat made. And when Jesus stopped and he got out of the boat and he went ashore, hoping for some solitude, hoping for some rest, hoping to have a chance to share a meal, there's this large crowd. And a few verses later, it says 5,000 men. And the men were counted, but in addition to that would be the assumption if there's 5,000 men, there's also represented women and children in relationship with those men. And so that number balloons well beyond 5,000. Now, Jesus could have been bothered by this, for it, it was not the plan. It was not where he was going for. They'd already had a long day, and the crowds had pressed them so much that they'd not yet really had a chance to eat. This was not why Jesus went where he went. And I don't know if you're wired like me, but I tend to kind of have a a plan in mind. I kind of know how I anticipate the day unfolding. And when something outside of me kind of disrupts that, it throws me. If I'm able to adjust, it takes me a couple of minutes to adjust. And this was one of those moments for Jesus, but... Uh, What a lesson. Look how he responds to this. Even though this was not his desired plan, even though he was weary as the rest were, Jesus didn't get annoyed. He didn't get frustrated. It didn't throw him off his game. Instead, the Bible says Jesus had compassion for the crowd. He knew their hearts, that they were seeking someone to care for them. He recognized them that they were like lost sheep needing a shepherd. So with compassion, Jesus began to teach them. He shared with them words of hope, words of guidance, words of repentance, words that were telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we are called to have compassion on those who need somebody to care, who need a moment of compassion from somebody. This is the example Jesus has set that we are to follow in. Jesus does that for us, right? He looks upon us. He sees us. He sees our trials, our hardships. He sees our frustration, our hurts, our pains. He sees our brokenness. And he has compassion. And he begins to try to enter into that. Now, there's lots of things at play. There's there's the issue of evil in the world. There's the issue of sin in the world. There's kind of this whole messed up circumstance that we as broken sinners have handed God. And and then there's the issue of free will and all of these complicated things. But regardless of all of that, Jesus sees you. He feels your need and he has compassion. And he begins to, in his power, to interject himself into your life. And we're called to do the same somehow. We're called as those sent out by Jesus... To see those in need, whatever type of need that may be, and have a heart of compassion towards that. Our hearts should be affected to action when someone in need crosses our paths. And like I said, any type of need, and and here's a reality in the culture that we live in, blessed as we are, 
that it's the, the physical needs. And yes, there are people around us to be sure that physically they, they need, they lack food, they lack water, they lack shelter, they lack the very tangible things of life. And, and those are the most easily recognizable as people who have need. And yet, it's probably the least present in our highly blessed culture if all of us are living wonderfully well. Even in simplicity, we live wonderfully well. But it's often the emotional and the relational needs that aren't as evident, that you don't get to see quite as easily, and yet is far more prevalent in our world today. We have no idea how people journey through this life and the difficulties that people face. Even within our own church family. Listen, we come to church family and it is not hypocrisy to say all that garbage that I deal with all of my days. When I come to church, I just, I'm trying to set that aside and I just want to put my best foot forward and kind of dismiss from that a little bit. That's not hypocrisy. That's trying to enter into Sabbath rest. But the reality is there isn't a single individual or family unit here in this church that isn't struggling with something. And that's true of everybody you meet. And so even when it's not so recognizable, Jesus says, hey, I want you to go out into this world. And when you interact with people, just believe in your heart. They have needs. And at least you can do is have compassion towards people and be kind and be considerate and express the love of God and just do good things. I think the Apostle Paul, again, he put it well in Colossians 3. So as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Put on a heart of compassion. When people come in your path, share love, share kindness, share a smile. Do something that shows the love of God. Fueled by compassion for this massive gathering of people, Jesus continued to pour out his life into them until late in the day. And the story continues, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Evening was approaching and the disciples saw that the people were hungry and they needed a meal. They recognized a need in the community. They recognized what the people needed, but their way of approaching it was to send them away. Send them away either to go and take care of your own needs or send them away so that somebody else would help take care of their needs. In that society of hospitality, go, go have somebody else help you out. So they go to Jesus. Jesus these people are going to need a meal soon, so send them away and let others worry about taking care of them. Jesus recognized the same need, but he reacted to it quite differently. Jesus answered them saying, you give them something to eat. And they said to Jesus, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and, and give them something to eat? And Jesus said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And, and when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. 
Jesus didn't respond to that need in the same way the disciples did. Instead, Jesus said, you, my disciples, you give them something to eat. His heart of compassion took a different approach. These people are tired and they're hungry. We must do something for them. The disciples let others worry about it. Jesus, I'm the one who sees their need. Therefore, I'm the one who should try to do something about it. You know, Jesus didn't have a place called home. Jesus once said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But in this moment, that grassy hillside by the shore, this became Jesus' dining room. He wanted to feed the people as a gesture of fellowship, of shepherding. And it's true today, even more so true then, that sharing a meal is sharing relationship. Sharing a meal is connection. And I think Jesus in this moment, he recognized their need and he wanted to communicate something to them. He wanted these sheep without a shepherd to know that he cared about them. He wanted to invite them into relationship by meeting their hunger. He also would meet their relationship need. Listen, I know it's complicated on how to help people who are in need of help and help of any description. I know there's complexities to these matters, but the basics are still true. We must not be quick to push the responsibility of meeting people's needs upon others. As followers of Jesus, we have to be careful to not just automatically say, I see that need, but somebody else needs to take care of that. Or send them away, they should be taking care of it themselves. Followers of Jesus should, at the very least, try to offer a supportive hand of compassion and at least do something to help those in need. Even if that something doesn't meet the full need, doesn't resolve the issue, but at least it's just something that is a moment of, I do care. We are called to welcome people into our lives and to extend that community, that care, and that kindness. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Jesus, do you want us to go into town and and buy food to eat? Do you know it would probably take about eight months' wages in order to buy enough food to to feed this, this gathering? We can't help them. We don't have the resources, was their excuse. Jesus then responds with an abundance mentality. Not a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality is, I've got to protect what I have. There's not enough to go around. The abundance mentality is, the Lord provides. There's enough to go around. So Jesus responds with this abundance mentality. He says, well, what do we have? Go, find out. And they returned having found a small boy's simple meal. Jesus, we have found... Five small portions of kind of a flat bread and two small, small little dried salted fish. It wasn't much, but in the hands of Jesus, a little can go a long way. And Jesus commanded them to all sit down by groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups, hundreds and hundreds uh, of hundreds and of fifties. Jesus knew what was about to take place. And he knew that there's going to be needed a little organization in order for this to all go well. So he directed the 5,000 men plus the women and the children to sit down on the grass-covered field, groups of hundreds and groups of 50. 
Men were in their groups. The women and children were in their own groups. And certainly just the act of this organization would cause everybody there to kind of sit up and pay attention with anticipation. Something's about to happen. What's going to happen? And all eyes on Jesus. And then Jesus prays. He took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Jesus took this seemingly insignificant supply of food in his hands. He gazed to heaven. He prayed a blessing over it. And we don't know just how this miracle of provision took place, but we do know it deeply impacted the disciples. Because did you know this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Whatever happened there, however that all happened, it was deeply impactful. And it seems that Jesus broke the bread, he divided the fish, and it just multiplied in his hands. And the disciples, they, they likely had on their person the, a, a first century version of like a day pack. They were called um, kofinos, a small kind of woven wicker type basket used specifically to carry food. And they would take these baskets with them when they were away from home. And, and sadly, the reason they would have these baskets of food when they were away from home is so that they, they wouldn't be forced to buy food from a Gentile. And likely the disciples had some form of those little baskets on them. And Jesus likely said, get your baskets. And he, and he filled those baskets. And then they would have a full basket. And they would go out to serve the people in these groupings. This very simple, very simple meal of bread and fish. Jesus was showing compassion. But notice it was not a feast. It was just a simple poor man's meal. Jesus wants us to do what we can, even if it's simple. This wasn't a feast. It wasn't a banquet. It didn't, it didn't address the needs of the next meal. It didn't solve the problem completely. Just in that moment, with what was available, simple things were given. They distributed it. They came back to Jesus. He filled it up as he continued to break. They went back and they shared more. And you can imagine the energy, the, the electricity in that gathering. Never had such a simple meal tasted so good. Not because of its flavor, but because of its source. It was coming miraculously from the hands of Jesus. And it had to take some time for Jesus to, to, uh, to break that bread and to divide that fish and for everybody to get uh, food distributed. It, it had to take a little time for that to unfold. But eventually, everyone's hunger was satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Everyone ate to their fill, satisfied, both body and soul. Not just my belly is now full, but my faith that the Messiah has come is also full. And then Jesus invited the disciples to go back to their serving groups with their baskets and collect the leftovers. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets. 12 baskets full of leftovers. Profound but simple enough. 
when we place in Jesus' hands our simple, meager supply of compassion and kindness, He multiplies it until the resources overflow. I want to close today with a question. And the question is, are you hungry? We actually have a a closing song today. And so I want to invite all of our young people to quietly begin to find their way forward as we just kind of close up. Try to stay focused. Don't worry about them at the moment. (laughs) But are you hungry? The people that Jesus fed that day were literally hungry, but they were also spiritually hungry. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Are you hungry? Too much hunger is a terrible thing, right? Too much hunger is a terrible thing, but a certain amount of hunger is necessary. God created us to experience hunger so so that we would eat. If we never felt hungry, we may never eat. And the results of never eating is starvation and death. The question is, are you hungry? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Church family, we need spiritual hunger. Without some level of spiritual hunger, we'll never go to the quiet place and be fed by Jesus. Do you know it's a gift from God to have spiritual hunger? The very thing that you need to compel you to go be filled with the love of God is not something you have to come up with on your own. It too is something that God gives. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to the quiet place to be filled by Jesus unless the Father has put the hunger in him. Are you hungry? Most of us here today, I would guess, in thinking about our spiritual appetite, are likely saying, I need to be more hungry. And if that's true, then here's the good news as we close. You can ask God to give you a greater hunger for righteousness. And he can both help you to be hungry and he can fill you to satisfaction. If we are hungry for the things of God, he promises to feed us to the full. In fact, to fill us so much that there is left over to share with others. We close with one final verse. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men for he satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good.